Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's a hot summer's day and the sun is beating down. The streets swelter in the heat. There's one sound that can elicit joy in the hearts of children young and old. The sound of the ice cream van coming round the corner. And in one city in England, Bristol, the ice cream van is virtually synonymous with one name. Lepresti. The Lepresti ice cream company are um, kind of a city establishment. They've been around for decades in Bristol, a bit of a, a landmark institution. That's Alon Alvaran, editor and founder of the Bristol Cable. But he's not here to talk about ice cream. There's something much darker than that going on. And it starts with Alon trying to make ends meet. I'm Maeve McClendigan. This is The Tip-Off. Back in 2014, Alon was just starting up The Bristol Cable a cooperative news outlet that reports news and investigations in the city. It's a fascinating business model, relying on local people subscribing to the magazine as part owners, and then they're able to vote on topics they would like to see covered. It's been a huge success, but when it first began, it really was a labour of love. The cable was entirely volunteer run at the start, so Alec Sayland, Adam cantwell Corn, and myself, who were working on this story from the off were working in kitchens or waiting in restaurants it actually happened to be that I was I was working in the kitchen we'd been investigating uh, working conditions in the catering se- sector in Bristol looking at general conditions and then a guy I was working with in a kitchen was like you should check out the Lepresti company you'll find some interesting stuff there I was kind of wearing my journalist hat but also wearing a you know, like a chef's top and cutting veg and doing prep in a kitchen and then being told about this. It was a tantalising tip, but not much to go on. Alan had heard of the company, of course, but he wasn't sure how to go about digging into what they'd been up to. So he and co-founder Adam decided the first step was to try and talk to people that had worked for the company. People who might be able to tell them if they were barking up the wrong tree. We started to kind of ferret around and start speaking to people and try and find former employees who might be willing to speak with us. It was quite a slow process. As they spoke to more people, they came to realise this family, 
the Leprestes owned more than just ice cream trucks. As well as being an ice cream company, we would find that Salvatore Lepresti, who was the sort of patriarch of the business and of the family, he also, together with his wife and various other family members, owned a property portfolio of about 28 properties worth millions across the city. So it wasn't just that they owned pretty much every single ice cream spot and ice cream van across Bristol, but they were also major landlords. So they were big players in the city. Slowly, Alan was beginning to find people who'd worked for them. But there was a lot of caution. People felt like he wasn't a person to mess with. So there was some caution, but there was also a lot of eye-rolling and a lot of people who were just thankful that we were trying to dig into this guy's checkered history and current activities. And then on top of that, there was obviously us having to treat each case sensitively you know there were a lot of people who were prepared to sign statements affidavits but didn't want their names published so you know we got that kind of security on the back end but they wanted to protect themselves in any published materials so we had to do quite a lot of thinking around like how to prevent jigsaw identification as well because we didn't want it getting back to the family exactly who we'd spoken with if that was a concern. What Alan was hearing was shocking. Eventually, we got three former workers who had independently worked there at different points in time who told us that they'd been paid about £2.50 per hour, were experiencing quite abusive working conditions at the Lepresti Ice Cream Company. They also spoke of two individuals who it sounded like were living in what could be slave-like conditions. That was obviously treated with caution. We had to evidence to substantiate those claims, and that was something that really gripped our attention from the off, because the story of underpayment of minimum wages is one that happens in towns and cities and villages across the UK day in, day out. It's an important story that needs to be told and isn't told enough, but obviously the allegations that there were men living in slave-like conditions was something else and was kind of a a graver situation. Alan knew he would need more evidence if he was going to publish anything of that nature, but he and Adam felt confident enough in their sources that they could publish a first article about low wages and bad conditions in the properties. And as soon as we started doing that, we started getting lots and lots of people phoning in, emailing contacting us, sending in letters with allegations stretching back decades, people talking about working there in their teens and they were now in their 40s, talking about being paid below minimum wage and various other allegations. So that was our way into speaking to a lot of different people. Then they thought of another way to find people. They used records on the land registry, a database of property ownership, to find the addresses of properties owned by the Lepresti family. We would just do some kind of old school shoe leather and start knocking on doors and speaking to tenants, seeing if they were willing to kind of share their stories and if they could stand up some of the historic allegations that we'd heard from members of the public who'd come forward to us to try and verify that. All of this was going on while Alan and his colleagues were trying to set up and launch the Bristol Cable. 
It was something that was bubbling away in the background. There would be concentrated efforts to develop relationships, interview people and build up a bit of a case. But we were also concerned that given the gravity of the allegations and the fact that we'd identified two men who were living in these slave-like conditions, we, we, we didn't want to take any risks like publishing something before we could really square it all and guarantee their safety, which was quite frustrating, to be honest, sitting on that information, trying to do an investigation while at the same time running a small local news organisation where you're being dragged in 20 different directions day in, day out. Still, the story was always on his mind, and Alon was concerned for the men he had heard about, the people who seemed to be being mistreated. He was racking his brains about how to get more proof of that. That's when we went in with deciding to send in an undercover reporter. And that was our way of trying to collect more information, verifying those claims, and also trying to see if we could reach out to the men who were living in slave-like conditions in the business as well. More after this. 
and one of those people seemed to fit just the profile of the type of person that Lopresti was employing too. Someone who isn't British, fairly new to Bristol. This was the guy to send in. But Alon knew this wasn't something to take lightly. It was something that we haven't done before. We're a small team. We don't have like the security of, of a large news organisation that has a dedicated security consultant. So there was a, a lot of reliance on pro bono consultation with organisations and individuals who are willing to talk us through the steps, help us make plans, do that sort of contingency work. And that was really, really helpful. And it, you know, it's obviously something that people can romanticise and it sounds sexy and whatever else, but we really had to try and remove ourselves from thinking in that way and try and see it as an unfortunate but necessary way in order to extract more information to be able to bolster this case. With all of that thought through, they were ready to move ahead. After submitting a CV and having an interview, they took our reporter on. This guy, who we can't name, got to work and in the end spent a month undercover. And it wasn't long before he witnessed firsthand the things people had been telling Alon. After working there for a few weeks, they found that they were being paid about £3.40 an hour. And he met the people that the former workers had spoken about. Men who seemed to be suffering. These men were working for Lopresti, but also living in property owned by him. A box room behind the high street to live, often pay would be deducted to account for rent, so they would never even see their full pay, which was already below minimum wage. One of the men living like that, they decided to call A to protect his identity. After getting to know him and building up trust, he agreed to be interviewed. A was a foreign national who had been working for years for Salvatore Lopresti. We heard from him that he was essentially being paid about 55 pence per hour. He was also like basically working for Salvatore Lopresti, doing odd jobs, working in his family home, helping with doing repairs in his bathroom, doing the gardening, basically doing anything at Salvatore Lopresti's will as well as working on the ice cream vans and all the while living in like a damp, small, cold flat tucked away behind Bedminster High Street, which is an area in South Bristol. They also heard of another man, Jakob. Jakob was working 12-hour days for £5 a day over eight years. And there was more. He had allegedly been struck in the face during an argument with Lopresti. Salvatore had beaten him with a broomstick when he had wanted to get out. He was like, I want to get out. Can I have my ID documents? Because one of the first things that Salvatore was said to have done was when Jakob applied for the job that was being advertised, Salvatore requested that he hand over his ID documents and that just gave him total control over Jakob and he said that he was holding back his money for him, he was keeping it safe for him. Yeah, he was hospitalised and was vomiting blood. Jakob, who likely had learning difficulties, worked for eight years pulling 12-hour day shifts, seven days a week. 
he got just £5 a day. He later told detectives that the jobs he did for Lopresti included selling ice creams from vans, painting and decorating, and performing maintenance work on Salvatore's rental properties. He even ended up being tasked with walking his boss's German shepherd. He was stuck. As soon as he'd taken up Salvatore's offer of work all those years ago, his ID documents had been confiscated. It was a shocking story. Alon and his his undercover reporter were logging all that they found, and it was mounting up. But here they had a dilemma. There were serious abuses going on, and men who could be in real danger if they published too soon. That put them in a tricky spot. Our primary focus as an organisation is obviously publishing, but we also definitely recognise our moral and ethical responsibility towards the people that we had found information about namely Jakob and A, especially given the fact that they were still working in the business or still kind of under the thumb of Salvatore Lopresti. We weren't just talking about former workers who'd already packed up and left. The more we learn about the relationship, the conditions that they were living in and so on and so forth, the more we recognised that it would be irresponsible to just run a story whilst those people were still in the organisation. So we saw professional advice from solicitors, from anti-slavery charities to try and assess how to handle this. There were also questions around, you know, it was, it was quite hard to pin down the nationality of A. And we were also asking ourselves, if we run a story exposing Salvatore Lopresti's record and his actions, do we risk having A deported? Because although there are some safeguards for victims of slavery and trafficking, if it can be stood up, the Home Office doesn't have exactly a good track record in terms of protecting victims and survivors of of these crimes. It was quite a complex like moral maze to try and work our way through. Alon and the team weighed up everything, and they've decided it could put vulnerable people at risk if they went ahead and published too quickly. So instead, they contact the authorities and wait to see what will happen next. Trying to be patient, waiting for news so as not to jeopardise the case. During that interim, it was really frustrating as well, because we were like, where are the police up to in their investigation? We're aware of these conditions. We're not going to leave it to them, because we're not exactly imbued with confidence that the police are actually going to be able to like investigate and prosecute Salvatore here. But we also don't want to ruin any chances for these men to be able to be relocated and to be offered support, which we as an organisation can't do. So there was this frustrating period where we were doing more digging, we were interviewing A, we were bringing in interpreters to be able to manage those conversations and to try and gather as much information as possible, but we also didn't want to release anything until we knew that the police investigation had been exhausted. In the end, the police charged Salvatore Lopresti with forced labour and assault. We were speaking with sources who were really optimistic. They were like, look, there's so much evidence here. There's no way out. But then... The case never made it to trial. A judge found that 75-year-old Mr Lopresti's dementia meant he was unfit to stand trial. And so the charges were dropped. There were pre-trial hearings. We saw Salvatore, who was quite an eccentric, barrel-chested Sicilian man, you know, standing in the dock at Bristol Crown Court. Couldn't quite believe it after all these years of 
<laughs> investigating him. He was there alongside his son, Robert. So from this moment of thinking that Salvatore was going to be done for one day slavery, suddenly the trial dissipated. But there would be some consequences. What did happen was a slavery and trafficking risk order was brought. It was the first slavery and trafficking risk order of its kind that was issued by Avon and Somerset Police. It's applied for by the police and a district judge enforced it. And essentially it was a restriction on Salvatore preventing him from being able to manage employees, be a boss, as well as rent properties to workers of his. It was kind of a halfway measure, but one which was the only available avenue for the police and for the courts, given his dementia diagnosis. And the judge clearly said in her judgment that Salvatore was a Monday slavery risk and he needed to be restricted and his activities as a boss and as a landlord really needed to be controlled and stopped. And the police would say at that point that it was our reporting which contributed to that STRO being made. Alan was in the magistrate's court the day the order was made. It was tense. It's like quite claustrophobic, small box room. It's not grand sort of courtroom at, at the Crown. So, yeah, we're pretty much sat shoulder to shoulder with people who've come to support Salvatore and watching the case, and they know who you are. And then after... Salvatore was issued with this slavery and trafficking risk order, which was a real damning indictment that the judge had decided that he was a real slavery risk. And in the hallway after the court, Robert, his son, who's he's a big bloke, he came up to me and kind of jabbed his finger in my direction and shouted me in front of all of the police and the lawyers that if we do any more reporting on him or his dad, he's going to come and sue us. And that he had nothing to do with the business. Robert. Salvatore's son denied any responsibility for the conditions in the ice cream trade or the properties owned by his father's company. Later, when the cable officially put the allegations to the Lepressi company, they did not respond. By now, the courts have dropped the criminal charges, but have handed down a modern-day slavery order, meaning Salvatore can no longer undertake certain activities. Alon wasn't satisfied. He wanted to know whether Lepresti was abiding by that order. So the journalist kept going, checking in to see if he or his son were breaching any of the conditions. We hired a rental car and we'd sit outside various places waiting for him to show up. And sure enough, we saw him with workers, getting them to move heavy goods into vans and driving it to other locations. And there was a lot of driving a few cars behind at a snail pace around the city and it felt quite gimmicky but it was an effective way of building up like photographic evidence of him working with these people. It was basically an insight into a man who, despite having been handed in court a short while before an order, a damning order, saying that he was deemed as a slavery and trafficking risk and been told to stay away from workers and to stop managing people and to stop letting properties to workers. This wasn't a man who appeared to be frightened by that or cowed by that. He was just continuing his business as usual. In October 2019, 
The Bristol Cable published a story revealing how Salvatore Lopresti was breaching his slavery and trafficking risk order. Lopresti and his son Robert totally denied all of the allegations about them. Responding to Alon's questions, a lawyer representing Salvatore Lopresti said, Since the making of the slavery and trafficking risk order, Mr Lopresti has complied with and continues to comply with each and every term of the order, and the publication of any suggestion to the contrary will be regarded by the family as libelous. It had taken five long years since that initial tip-off came in, but Alon and his colleagues had built up a huge body of work a forensic and detailed exploration of how exploitation can happen under all of our noses. But it wasn't all a happy ending. Alan isn't quite sure what happened to A. We learn later that A was approached by police and by anti-slavery and trafficking charities and he decided to not enter what's called the National Referral Mechanism, which is essentially being relocated to another city, being rehoused for a temporary period of time before seeking kind of alternative work. And he decided to go underground, and he went AWOL. And that was his decision. You know, I think there are a number of different factors for why he chose to go down that road, and I'm not going to speak for him, but, you know, distrust of authorities and so on were definite factors in that. But he gave us a lot of material that was really instrumental in building up the case that we would later tell. For Jakob, it seems there was a happy ending. After the investigation was published, we were told that he was supportive of the investigation, which was a massive relief. It was an incredible project, and all that work paid off. Eventually, after continuous reporting by us and, and questions being sent to the council, Salvatore Lopresti's business doesn't have any more legal ice cream sites where they can actually pitch up and sell ice creams to day trippers. But we did spot one of his vans like rocking up in unauthorised locations, so it's kind of an ongoing saga. And, and, you know, I think it's interesting because it's not a story about a big multinational or a state power exploiting some other actor. It's a story about a wealthy businessman on a fairly small level who had a lot of influence across neighbourhoods and in Bristol and who so many people had bad experiences with. So we felt like it was a powerful way to tell a story that takes place, unfortunately, in so many places across the UK. You could replace Salvatore Lopresti's name with other names. And I think as for like reporting about slavery, say, or exploitation, you'll come across a whole range of different areas. So it's really about trying to dig deep on a local level, There's so many media deserts out there with the closure of local papers, with news teams being asset stripped by their proprietors to increase the dividends of shareholders. That means that there's lots of stories that aren't being told. And in our small part of the world, we're trying to tell them. In December 2019, Salvatore Lopresti died of natural causes. That's all for this episode of The Tip-Off. 
Thanks to Alon for talking us through that tenacious and rigorous project. As always, there are links to the stories in the show notes. If you're enjoying this latest series of The Tip-Off, please do take a second and give us a quick review whenever you pick up your podcasts. Or just tell a friend or colleague about it. This episode was made possible thanks to support from the Charities Aid Foundation and the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. And as always, we're so grateful to our Patreon supporters who are helping us make more episodes of the show. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the tip off. This episode was edited by Alice Milliken and our theme music is by Dice Muse. Stay tuned for more stories behind the headlines. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 